Jesus. Amen. You may be seated at this time. I want you to close your eyes and imagine that you are at Walmart or Target, whatever is best for your peace of mind. I want you to think about the sounds that you hear while you're in the store. So as you, I know there's a lot of movement going on as everyone's getting in place. We'll kind of give you a little bit of time to think about that. Again, close your eyes for a moment. Imagine that you're at Walmart or Target or, I don't know, Home Goods or TJ Maxx or whatever. If you like shopping, whatever, for me, it would be more like Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops. Whatever's best for your peace of mind, you're there. Think about the different sounds that you hear. I wonder if you can just kind of kind of just shout out for a minute. What, what are the different sounds you hear in the store while you're in there? What was that? Music? What else? What other sounds you hear? What? Laughter. All right. What else? What? PA announcements. Yeah, yeah. We hear those. Yeah. Scanning the scanning the beeper of the scanning. Yeah. You get the checkout line and you hear the beeping and the beeping. So let me ask you this question then. Some of you may have had this class before, but what is the most... Oh, Sister Lenny, what? <laughs> well, think about the things that you feel. But what is the most critical sound that you hear in a store when you're at the store? For the store, what is the most critical sound that you hear? the ching-ching, the, the beeping of the cash register because a purchase is being made, right? All the bells and all the whistles and all the blue light specials and all of the PA announcements and all of the shopping carts and the hustle and bustle and all that stuff to the store, it really doesn't matter without the beep of the cash register. If, if I go into Cabela's and I just kind of walk around for a little while and I don't buy any fishing poles, first of all, or fishing poles or fishing gear, first of all, that's usually a miracle, but if, if, I, can, if I can just go in there and walk around and play with all the toys and, and, and don't purchase anything, I didn't do the store really any good. The beep of the cash register is the critical transaction, if you will. Well, when we think about the church, we could say the same thing about a specific portion of our service and that is the altar call the sound of the altar is the critical transaction of the church the rushing mighty wind the sounds of repentance the speaking in tongues the sounds of worship and praise and deliverance and weeping and and all of the things that happen in the altar the the sounds of travail in the altar the sounds of worship and praise when someone gets their breakthrough the the, the that's the critical sound in a church service if if we don't have the weeping of repentance if we don't have the crying out of in desperation to the lord if we don't have the shout of worship because of a breakthrough or a miracle or or an answered prayer or a touch of the spirit of god then uh, really what's the point of even having church we need to have the sound of the altar in the church this pentecostal altar experience is real and everybody needs it 
We've had some great conferences this year. We had Winter Fire, and we've had Prophecy Conference, and we had Connecticut Impact, and and we've had Youth Convention, and we've got camp coming up, and there's going to be a lot of altar services, and there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of sounds of the altar at those conferences in our youth camps, things like that. But we need to not just rely on the conferences and not just rely on the camp meetings to uh, experience the Pentecostal altar call. We, we need to make sure that the sounds of Pentecost are being heard all the time in our services. And I'm thankful that we've been seeing that in our services. We've had backsliders praying back through to the Holy Ghost. We've had people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. I can count um, at least three backsliders that I know of who have prayed back through to the Holy Ghost in the last month and a half or so. And at least four or maybe six people that have received the gift of the Holy Ghost for the first time in the last six weeks or so in our services. And what a blessing. And it ought to be that way. We ought to hear the sound of the altar and the Pentecostal experience more and more and more. Because Pentecost is supposed to be more than just a one-time experience or more than just a one-time infilling. It's supposed to be something that fills us to the point of pervading every arena of our lives, of our thoughts, of our motives, of our feelings. It ought to, it ought to be every part of our life. In fact, we should not have to wait until camp to experience a, a Pentecostal experience, but we, we need to have it all the time. And we shouldn't just wait for a church service to have it. But we ought to have our own personal Pentecost every single day. Because you're going to run into people who need what you have. And if you're running on empty when you run into them, what are you going to have to offer to them? I can just tell you, we're going to have a lot more and more and more and more guests in our church. And they may never make it to a conference. So we need to be able to create a real Pentecostal experience in every service. And we can do it. And that's what tonight's lesson is really all about. We haven't even gotten into your notes yet because that was just kind of an introduction. Amos 9 and verse 13, you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again because I believe this is the harvest that God has given us. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt. This is the harvest that God is giving us. The harvest where those that plow and those that, that are sowing seed and those that are reaping the harvest are working together almost stepping on one another as they do it, not in a rude way, just in the fact that you're in the same field doing those things. They're supposed to be. Jesus said, say not ye there are yet four months. And then comes the harvest. No, lift up your eyes for the fields are already white, ready to harvest right now. And he's literally talking about this right here. And you're going to hear more about this on Sunday, by the way. But uh, he's really talking about this right here. That there ought to be sowing and there ought to be reaping happening all the time in the day of the church. We ought to be sowing and we ought to be reaping all the time. And there ought to be people getting the Holy Ghost. There ought to be people that are hearing the gospel for the first time. And there ought to be people that are growing. And we should be having Pentecost all the time. And God is working things out and he's arranging things so that we as a church, not just within the four walls of the church, but so that we can help people experience Pentecost, their own personal Pentecost, the same way we did. It may happen in a different location. It may happen uh, at, at a different time frame. Uh, but they can have the same Pentecostal experience that we've all had because it is the same in the experience of the infilling and the indwelling of the Holy Ghost uh, that when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And that is for everybody. And everybody is supposed to experience it. And we need to make sure that people can have the same experience that we have because it is the greatest experience that we could ever have and it is the greatest need of the world of everyone that is in this world 
That's why Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Because he wanted to come back into union and relationship with his creation. And when he comes in to indwell our hearts with the Holy Ghost and he gives evidence of that through the speaking of other tongues, then that is him coming back into right relationship with us, us coming back into right relationship with him, and us getting back to that union with God that he's always desired. We have the answer that the world needs. And by the way, the answer that the world is looking for. We're not supposed to keep this to ourselves. The old saying that what stays in Vegas, what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, listen here. There are some things that happen at the altar that need to stay at the altar because you drop some stuff, but you're supposed to leave the altar with some things that you carry to everybody else. So, so what happens at the altar shouldn't stay at the altar. You need to take it and share it with everybody else. That's what our testimonies are for. Years ago, when my wife and I were the youth pastors of our church, there was, yeah, it, we were youth pastors at one time. When Eleazar and Micah were young, we were the youth pastors, and there was a young man that was coming to our church, and he was connected to another family that was coming to our church. And... For whatever reason, he's been separated from our church for a while. He's a grown man now. He's got kids of his own. Well, a couple years ago, I don't know exactly how long it was, maybe a year ago, um, Sister Deborah made a connection with that same young man. Now, we didn't know any of this until today. But she stopped. She was driving through New Britain. She made a wrong turn driving through New Britain, and as she was driving by, she saw some, some young men in the driveway or in the yard, and she felt like she needed to stop and pray for them, and so she did. And the mom came, comes running out because she thought her sons had done something wrong, and she's like, what, what did they do now? <laughs> and there was nothing wrong. She's like, I just felt like I needed to pray. She said, oh, please do pray, and that started a Bible study, and this lady has been uh, joining us in, in different things online, and she hasn't been to our services yet, and I don't know if she ever will. But I got the privilege to meet this lady today, and as we were sitting at the table, I found out that she's the mother of that young man that used to be in our youth group. And we're reconnecting, and God has planted some seeds, and now God is going to give us an opportunity, and I'm believing for that. But even more powerful is as we were sitting there talking to her, her husband comes in and he brings the neighbor, one of the neighbors from up the street in. And he starts asking my wife and I questions about Pentecost. Peter said, you've got to be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is within you, right? He starts asking us questions and we start answering the questions. Next thing you know, we're praying with them. <laughs> and the power of God falls. And although no one was speaking in tongues other than maybe my wife and I at the time, there was an experience there and there was a seed that was planted. And, and as we finished praying, that man looked at me, the neighbor, that we had no idea we were going to meet today. He looks at me and he says, are we all supposed to speak in tongues? I said, I gave him my business card. So you call me, we're going to talk more about this because I had to get ready for Bible study tonight. But we ought to be having experiences like that. And we need to be ready for experiences like that. And so we need to know how to help people to create a real Pentecostal. We need to know how to help create a real Pentecostal experience for people with whom we come into contact. And we need to be able to do it in our services as well, which is the main focus of uh, the lesson that I'll be teaching tonight and over the next couple of weeks. Because we are going to have the opportunity. Every time we teach a home Bible study, whenever we are having services, whenever we have men's and ladies events, whenever we have Spanish services and Spanish Bible studies, whenever, whenever we're running into people at the grocery store or whatever, there's an opportunity to help create a Pentecostal experience for people. So... Within our services in, in general, how do we create a real Pentecostal experience for people in our services? And the answer is 
in the altar. Yes, we're going to have worship. We're going to have dynamic worship. And God is going to, people are going to respond. And we need that. And people are going to respond during worship. But there needs to be a point of decision and a point of a challenge and a point when people have an opportunity to walk up to the altar and to touch base with God and to have the same experience with God that we've had in their own way. And so one of the things that we need to do is we need to learn how to operate in the altar. And so really what we're doing over the next couple of weeks is we're doing altar worker training. And you might think, you're gonna, you know, some of you might think, oh, I'm going to check out now because that's not my calling. Listen, we're all supposed to be working in the altars. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you ought to be working in the altar and helping other people have the same experience that you've had. You need to be there. I, I can't do it all as the pastor. Bishop Tryon can't do it all. All the ministers can't do it all. We need you praying in the altar with people. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to help demystify the altar working experience and the calling of it and the ministry of it so that you can feel a little bit more comfortable. Because many times we are just fearful of doing something because we don't understand it or we don't know how to do it and we have not been taught how to do it. And so we're going to try to demystify that a little bit and help us to get a better understanding of how we're supposed to act and operate in the altar and to help provide the atmosphere that other people can experience Pentecost like we've had it because they need it. And so one of the first things that we do is we need to know this thing we call the four steps of worship and I've got notes in there that it was the Olivers that taught us this years ago. Um, they taught it to me, and, and now it's Sister Vicki Vernon, who was here for our ladies' conferences last year, and her husband, Ben Vernon, um, who hopefully next year will be able to have them come and minister in our, serve, in our church um, if it works out. But, but they have taught this for years, and, and this is something that is an easy, simple way to get everyone to understand what they need to do in order to prepare their heart to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And honestly, to just receive from God in general. This works whatever the need might be. And so the four steps of worship. The first one is that we close our eyes. Because many times when we uh, are looking around, we got our eyes open, we're looking around, and we, we get distracted by everything that's going on around us. And so the first thing we want to instruct them to do is, hey, you know what? Close your eyes and forget about everything else that's going on right now. Just focus on you and Jesus right now. Close your eyes. And then we want to instruct them to lift their hands. It's an act of surrender. It's also an act of worship. And when we lift our hands, it, it gives us... To, and, and we don't need to have them raising their hands way, way up like this to where it's uncomfortable. It can be a place where it's comfortable. If they're only comfortable going like this, then that's okay too. And some people are going to come up and do this, and some are going to do this, and some are going to start out here, and they're going to end up down here, and some are going to end up down here, and they're going to, or they're going to start down here, and they're going to end up up there, and, and whatever. But just get them to make that movement. It's an act of surrender. It, it, it helps to, uh, there's something about it that just literally kind of helps focus as well, and it just literally is like, all right, here I am. But it's also a, a, an act of, hey, I'm getting ready to receive something. All right, and so I'm putting my hands out to receive it. If, if I were to, if this was a football and I were to throw it over to Brother Darius, I'm not going to do it right now, but if I were to do that, if he's going to catch it, he's going to have to somehow get his hands up or out so that he can receive it. That's why they call the ones that catch the ball in football receivers. And so we get ourselves in a position of receiving as well. Sister Tryon, you had a comment. Oh. Right, that's excellent. I love that. And so for those of you online that didn't hear that, little kids, when they want to be picked up, what do they do? They, they start reaching for it. And, and so when I'm doing this, I'm reaching for God. I'm reaching for Daddy. I'm reaching for my Heavenly Father. And, and, I'm, and I'm hoping that I'm going to get what I want. And they're expecting that they're going to get what they what they are asking for amen 
And so we want to close our eyes, lift our hands, and we want to lift our heads. Now, we're not talking about breaking somebody's neck or, or you know, making it uncomfortable. But, but have you ever been praying with somebody and you're trying to get them to speak out and you're trying to figure out, are they, are they making progress? Are they, are they getting close to receiving the Holy Ghost? And they're like this. You can't see what's going on very well. And, you know, you're trying to kind of. So if we can get them to lift their head a little bit then it, it helps us, but it also helps them project their voice a little bit because the next thing we're going to have them do is we're going to have them open up their voice. And we tell kids, use your outside voice. You don't have to be extremely loud yelling and screaming, but you need to be speaking out. I, mean, I, I say this all the time. You can't speak in tongues if you're not speaking. Some of you are looking at me, what? It's the most simplest thing in the world, but you can't speak in tongues if you're not speaking. So I've got to be speaking already if the Lord is going to. So when they were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, they were praying. They were talking already. And then as they were talking and praying already, they began to talk in a language they had never spoken before. But we've got to be talking first. You're not going to receive the Holy Ghost sitting there like this. we got to speak. Sister Ellen, did you have a comment? Yes. That's good. And I'm glad you mentioned that. I forgot to mention that. Yes. When our head is down, it's kind of a sign of defeat. It's a sign of shame. I tell people a lot when I'm in the altar working with them, listen, you, if you've repented, there's nothing for you to hang your head about anymore because Jesus already forgave you. So lift up your head. A lot of times that's exactly what they're doing. They're here. They're in shame. And, and we don't want them to be ashamed. We, we want them to come and understand that when they ask the Lord to forgive them, when they repent, that God is forgiving them. And, and now they're getting ready to receive something. So they lift up their head and it, it helps break that shame. And now they're open and they can project their voice more. And, and then it helps us as well as altar workers to understand what's going on. You can then, if you, even if you can't hear them, you can maybe read their lips or you can hear a little bit better um, without having to get all up on them too close and you can understand what's happening um, many times I'm working in the altar and I can see that that as they've got their head lifted up that they're still repenting or they're still begging and receiving the Holy Ghost is not a begging thing you don't have to beg for it, it it's something you receive by faith and 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 so once you've repented of your sins you don't have to beg for it it's a gift and so I can tell if someone's begging I can say listen we don't need to beg anymore we just need to start praising him for it and we need to start praying, and, 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 and we can ask him. We want to ask him because the Bible says, you know, if we don't ask, we don't receive. And it says if we do ask, we will receive. And how much more will the Father give us? If, if I ask my father, my earthly father, for an egg, is he going to give me a scorpion? <laughs> but how much more so will our Heavenly Father give, us the Holy Ghost, give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? So they have to ask. But they don't need to beg. So that to continue sitting there begging and please, 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 like that's the wrong position. It is I'm asking in faith because I know I'm going to receive. We'll talk a little bit more about that, how we how we help create faith. And so when we're doing this, we're we're having them close their eyes to focus on the Lord, to lift their hands, to lift their heads and to open their mouth and speak. And so as an altar worker, as someone who is going to be working with someone, whether it's across the table at a home Bible study, whether it's in a grocery store, whether it's in your home, whether it's uh, at a youth event or whether it's at work somewhere when you get an opportunity to pray with somebody or whether it's in the altar at church, you need to know these steps because they work. Over and over and over again. So know these steps, practice them, and be able to lead others through them because it works. And the, one of the reasons we want to know this and be able to walk people through this is because many people who come to our services have no concept of underst or understanding of what to do, how to behave, and especially, they don't even know what an altar is sometimes. Let me say we're going to have altar call. 
So one thing I'm trying to learn how to do and trying to remember to do, and I'm not doing a very good job of it right now, but I'm trying to get in the habit of remembering to uh, explain at the beginning of the message, hey, in a little bit, we are going to have an, uh, an invitation. We're going to invite you to come forward. We're going to have what we call altar call, and we're going to tell you that the altar is open. We're going to invite you to come down here, um, and we're trying to get them to understand that. But even when they come up here, they don't know what to do. And so we need to be able to help them know what to do. Some of them don't even know how to pray. But they're going to feel something maybe during the message or they're going to hear something in our services that compels them to hunger for what we have. And when they come down to this altar, we need to be ready for them. We need to be ready to help them. And that's what this is all about. And so it is incumbent upon the altar worker to guide folks through the altar experience. And so when you guide a seeker through the four steps of worship, the most important thing is to guide them through what they need to pray. Now, we're not teaching anybody how to speak in tongues. That's not what I'm talking about. I can't do that. The Holy Ghost gives the utterance. When you speak in tongues, it's probably going to sound different than mine. And it's going to sound different than someone else's. And I can't, I cannot teach someone. There's no Babel app out there or uh, Rosetta Stone that can teach somebody how to speak in tongues. We can't do that. The Holy Ghost gives the utterance. But I can teach them how to pray a prayer of repentance. I can guide them through that. And by the way, as Christians, we ought to be experts at repentance. So it ought to be pretty easy for us to guide somebody through a prayer of repentance. Because we ought to be repenting every single day of our lives. Whether you think you sinned or not. Cleanse me from secret faults, right? We, we all have them. And, and we need to put ourselves on the altar every day. And we need to know how to repent. But a very simple way to lead someone through repentance is to simply say, to lead them in a prayer. You say, repeat after me. And many times, the one that's leading the altar will do this. But a prayer that I've learned to do is, is, to, is to say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I confess that I am a sinner. I've gone places that I shouldn't have gone. I've done things with my hands that I shouldn't have done. I've watched things with you can you can talk about the different your your hands. I, I've seen things or watched things with my eyes that I shouldn't have seen. I've gone places with my feet that I shouldn't have gone. I've touched things that I shouldn't have touched. I've done things with my body that I shouldn't have done. I've said things that I know I shouldn't have said. I've listened to things that I know I shouldn't have listened to. You can go through all of those things, and, and then you can say, I'm asking you now to forgive me. I repent of those sins. I disagree with them now. I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I'm asking that you forgive me, and I'm committing to you that I'm going to turn away from my sins, and I'm turning to you now. And when that's, it's that simple. And you can lead them through your own version of that. So as Christians, we should be experts at repentance. So it ought to be easy for us to guide someone through a prayer of repentance. Unless we aren't. And unless it isn't. But we ought to be. Sister Grissel. Yes, ma'am. There should be no nervousness. This is We're all learning together. So we're going to talk about that throughout the course of the next couple of weeks. So all of that is going to be covered in what we're talking about. But we are going to address, because I need to be right if I'm going to be praying with people in the altar. 
Doesn't mean I have to be perfect, though. Because we're never going to be perfect. So if I'm, gonna, if I'm waiting until I'm perfect to pray, somebody, pray with somebody on the altar, then I'm never going to pray with anybody. And then I'm just going to sit there and what, what, what is, you know. And so, yes, that's why we do this training is so that we can help people to understand what to do and how to do it in the altar. Right? And so that they can be right. She was just asking, you know, we're talking about um, helping people pray in the altar, but what about the people that are, you know, that are coming up to pray in the altar? What about their relationship with God? You know, what are we doing to make sure they're right? All right, and, and then, um, so we get, we got to, so that was in essence. So we're going to answer all of that throughout the course of this lesson. That's why we're doing this. Because there are some things we shouldn't do, there are some things we should do, and there's a certain position we ought to be spiritually that we can do that. Now, but again, that doesn't mean we're always going to be perfect. Because, and, and if I was always up here and my faith was always up here, if it had to be that way for me to pray with people in the altar, I would. I, I got I to do it anyway. I got to be able to do it anyway. So I have, to, I have to learn how to get through, fight through my own doubt sometimes or my own fear sometimes or my own frustration sometimes and just get down there and do it or get up here and do it, all right? And so uh, I have to be able to doubt. Does that mean you can never pray for yourself? And yeah, Come down to the altar, pray if you need to, get it right. But, but honestly, as a Christian, you should have done that before you got here. You should already be right before you get here. You have a relationship with God. You ought to have an abiding relationship with him. Anything that you're dealing with, because when we get here on Sunday morning, our job is not to get our own praise on and not to get our own miracle all the time. Yeah, we need the upbuilding and we need all that, but our job is to be here for those sinners that are coming in. That's our mission. And so we need to be able to help one another and help others. That's what we're supposed to be doing when we get here. We, we've got our own relationship with God. If I'm praying throughout the week, then I'm gonna, God's going to already have dealt with me and helped me through the week so that when I get here on Sunday... Most of the time, most of the time, I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be. Sister Maria first. Yes, yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, yes. Yeah. And, and you're right. So everything God shows you is not for you to blab out. Some of you have been called to a ministry of intercession. And when God reveals something to you, it's not so you can go talk to people. It's so that you can talk to Jesus about it. Because you're right. You can hurt people when you do that. You can embarrass people when you do that. And you might run them off and then never come back. Now, so you exercise wisdom. And if you're unsure, then find an elder. Find the pastor or the bishop or the pastor's wife or, 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 or one of the ministers and, and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about this. This is kind of what I'm sensing. And then eventually you'll get, you'll get used to operating in that gift and understanding how to do it and you'll have confidence but at first you don't you don't have to go you know just stand back and pray from that perspective and by the way don't necessarily blab it even in prayer in that moment unless you're being led by the holy ghost sometimes you'll be praying stuff and stuff i'm praying stuff sometimes and it comes out and i don't even know what i'm saying i'm like what did i just say but then that person will say how did you know but I don't, when I'm doing that, I typically don't yell and scream and make it all loud for everybody else to hear. It's usually 
pretty intimate and private, so I'm not trying to embarrass them. Because I don't believe in most cases God wants to embarrass us. That's like the last-ditch effort. Right? We, God, God wants to bring us to a place of repentance. He doesn't want us to run off. He doesn't want to run us off. So if he's got to embarrass us, that means he's been trying for a So, in other words, if God's not in the business of embarrassing us, then we need to not be in the business of embarrassing others. And so we need to be very careful. So if we're not sure, bring it before someone else. Or just take it to the Lord in prayer. Then he will lead you. You can be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Or pray in the Holy Ghost while you're praying for them. I've heard a lot of people say you should never speak in tongues with somebody when you're praying for them to get the Holy Ghost because you're trying to teach them how to speak in tongues. No, I'm not. I'm praying something that maybe I'm addressing some things in the Spirit that need to be addressed and the Spirit world understands me and I'm helping rebuke some devils and stuff and not without having to say all of it in English or Spanish or whatever language I speak so that now I'm, I'm making them mad or, or whatever or embarrassing them or hurting them. Is that, so very good point, Sister Maria, that doesn't. We'll, we'll, probably, we'll get into that in and out throughout this whole time, but that's all right. Sometimes they need to come out a little earlier. And we have run people off or we have created scars or wounds in people because we didn't know how, we didn't have the knowledge. We, we probably were well-intentioned. We didn't mean to do it. But we had no wisdom. So we've got to learn how to have wisdom as well. Sister Marie had a comment, and then I know Bishop's got Actually, Sister Marie, I'll get back to you. Bishop, I want to hear your comment. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. Volatile, yeah, yeah. Vulnerable, yeah. Yeah, so for those of you online, Bishop basically said, listen, when someone's seeking the Holy Ghost, that might not be the wisest time to prophesy to them. <laughs> you might be, God probably revealed that to you so you can pray in the Holy Ghost about it. And we're going to get into what a real good altar team looks like when you're praying for someone to have the Holy Ghost. There needs to be intercessors that are interceding while you've got one person that is leading them in that. And so we'll probably laugh and joke a little bit about some of this and we'll give some funny examples, but, but we definitely need to make sure that we do it in order. But there is a place for that. And sometimes God will reveal something to you so you can intercede in that and, and maybe not even in English or Spanish, but so you can do that, so you can help them address that. And, and you don't understand that when you're praying in the Spirit, you are, you are helping to, to, to break chains and you're helping to, even if they never understand a word you say or even if they don't even know you were there, because, by the way, it's not about who gets the credit. It's not about who I prayed through to the Holy Ghost. It, all I care about is somebody got the Holy Ghost. I could care less who gets the credit because God's the one that gave it to them anyway. I want to be a vessel that God can use. And I wanna, I, I'd love to see as many, I'd love to be praying with as many people as possible for them to get the Holy Ghost. But it doesn't have to be me. I just want people to get the Holy Ghost. Sister Marie, your comment. A hundred percent true. Amen. Amen.
Amen. right amen amen Amen. And so back to the whole prophecy thing. I agree 100% with what Sister Marie said, that if it's going to happen in an altar call when someone's seeking the Holy Ghost, it probably needs to be positive. Because <laughs> you're trying to encourage them and strengthen them. If it's something negative, you, you really better pray about how you're going to handle that or bring it to your pastor or an elder. So... Because, um, again, God's not going to try to... He's drawing them. Right? We want to be encouraging in the altar. All right. So, there are some things... We're going to talk about etiquette a little bit. There are some things that we should probably always do in the altar, and there are some things that we probably should never do in the altar. So, we're going to talk a little bit about some do's and don'ts. Um about things in the altar um and these are going to be uh maybe a little whimsical maybe a little light-hearted in some cases but they are serious too and we'll probably laugh a little bit um but we're also going to understand that when we start talking about these things th these things can either hinder or help and so it's something very serious that we're talking about even if we laugh a little bit about it and probably some of you are going to identify very clearly with some of these things that we talk about and you're going to have memories and you're going to kind of start chuckling a little bit or you're going to start saying yeah i remember when i felt some sort of way or when somebody did something like that to me and some so you might even feel a little bit like yeah don't ever do that to me again type of thing coming up it's going to happen when we go into some of these things because we've probably all experienced some of these things in one form or fashion so number one thing that i don't want you ever to do in the altar is be inappropriate for the most part in most cases my preference is that men pray with men and ladies pray with ladies there's a lot of reasons why now ministers have a little bit of leeway with that especially the pastor and the bishop they had a little bit of leeway with that and i'm not saying that it's a black and white hard and fast rule that a lady can never pray with a man and a man can never pray with a lady but if we're going to do it um there's got to be some parameters and stuff for instance i know there's been several times that sister trying has come and prayed for me and i've appreciated that but she's always appropriate when she does it right and there's nothing wrong with that and i will pray with you ladies as your pastor i believe there's a power in that there's an importance that but i'm going to always do it in a respectful manner and in an appropriate way and if i'm laying hands on you it's going to be appropriate the way that i do it and if any time i've made you feel uncomfortable with that please tell me because i i try to be as appropriate as i can and if i've done anything that made you feel like i was not appropriate please tell me because i first of all i apologize that was never my intent and i don't want to do that I, I want you to feel comfortable and safe this this ought to be a safe place where people aren't afraid to come and get, have an experience. Alright? If you feel the need to pray with someone of the opposite gender, then come and get my approval or Bishop's approval or Sister Brown's approval, Sister Maria's approval. Like, get a minister's approval. Like, or, or, if you really feel like that burden is there, maybe find someone of the opposite sex to go and pray with them. Many times I'll ask my wife, sometimes I don't even feel comfortable praying with a lady. There may some, be some specific reasons why it would not be appropriate to me. Maybe what they're wearing. Maybe there's no appropriate way for me to touch them, the position that they're at in the altar. There may be very good reasons. So I will many times say, Sister Marie, can you please, or I may ask Sister Tryon or Sister Maria sometime, or, or even Sister Grissel or Sister Shida. I've asked them, hey, can you please pray for this person? Can you, can you do that? I, I, I may ask you to do that sometime. And if I'm asking you, it's because I probably don't feel like it would be appropriate for me to do it. 
Sometimes one of the best things that we can do on the altar is give somebody a hug. But I'm not going up hugging on a woman that's not my wife. <laughs> I give sister trying hugs because she's my mama. And every now and then one of you might get a hug here and there, but it's going to be very appropriate in right the way we do it because we're not, we're not getting inappropriate. But in the altar especially, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to do that. Because I want to make sure that I'm guarding you, but I'm also make sure that I'm guarding myself and this church. We don't need lawsuits on our hands because we didn't respect boundaries in the altar. We want people to have a good experience in the altar. And especially when I minister in different congregations, I will not pray with people of the opposite sex unless I know I have permission from the pastor. That's my, that's my standard as a minister. And by the way, you don't always have to lay hands on somebody to pray for them. There is a power in laying on the hands, and the Bible instructs us to do it, but you don't always have to do it. You don't even have to be in the same room all the time with somebody to pray with them, or the same country, or the same continent. <laughs> but if you feel like it, you know, and, and another thing you can do is... You can actually ask the person, listen, I feel like I, I, I need to pray for you. Um, are you okay if I lay my hand on your head to pray for you? If you don't feel comfortable with that, would, would you feel more comfortable if I, I get a, a lady or if I get a, a young man or another man to help? Would you? How do you, you know, you can ask that person. Once you have their permission and it's appropriate, then go ahead and do it in the right way. All right? Now, Part of that laying it on the hands is to have appropriate body position. You're not in the club. And some of you looked at me like, what was he talking about? And some of you are laughing, and that's fine. But think about it like this. You're not there to fuel anybody up. They might have just gotten that experience at the club last night, and we don't want to give them a club experience in the altar. That's not what it's here for. It's very likely that some, and I know that there have been people in this altar that spent all night in a club and then came to the altar. And some of them got the Holy Ghost in the altar after that happened. And they were never the same. So it can happen, but I'm not trying to recreate a club experience for somebody in the altar. And here's another reason why you want to be appropriate with your body position. Don't get too close to them. Don't rub all up on them. There is something wrong with a little bump and grind. It shouldn't be happening in the altar. All right? Some of y'all get that. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. If you don't know, just there was a lot of stuff in my life before Christ. So, um, But there may be people that are sitting back deciding whether or not they even want to come to the altar. And if they see you doing something inappropriate to somebody else, they're like, well, I ain't going up there to get that. That's not what I came here for. I know it seems kind of extreme, but come on, let's, let, let's, be, let's be real. There's a lot of perverts out there in the world, and they don't need to be in the church, and people don't need to think there might be one in the church. Amen? And what they see you do in the altar, in the way you pray with people, may be the final decision fact, the final deciding factor of whether or not they decide to come to the altar. And I don't want to be me being a little bit inappropriate with someone in the altar, being someone's decision to turn away from God or not come to God or never come to an altar. All right? Does that make sense? So here's what we should do. If we can it pop. At all, if at all possible, we should stand in front of the person when we're praying for them. Now, if they're kneeling down here at the altar, you can't really very well stand, stand in front of them. <laughs> but most of the time, when, when people are seeking the Holy Ghost, we really need to have them on their feet. And so, because we need them to lift their head and lift their hands and open their mouth and all of those things, we need to be able to do that. So, you know, there's, there's time for that. There's a time for kneeling at the altar and all that. But most of the time, try to be in front of them. Now, 
Brother Redway, come up, come up here, please. If you don't mind. Well, let, let me see if I can demonstrate this a little bit. All right, face face the audience, right? Now, Brother Redway, just act like you're in the altar praying and you're just you're going for God and you're really seeking after the Lord and you're going, whatever. If I just walk up behind him and I start this, hey brother, what's going? What's the first thing he's most likely going to do? He's going to tense up, or he's going to turn around and be like, "Who's that? Who just touched me? Like, what's going on? Come on, we're human, right? If I if I'm standing there, especially if I'm really focused on the Lord and I'm I'm starting to get somewhere and someone just kind of comes up and and like like I'm probably my react it's going to be distracting for me. So if I can come up nice and get in front of them and kind of the Bible says lay hands suddenly on no man, and I know there's different implications for that, but I'm very careful about how and when I lay hands on people. And a lot of times I want to make sure that I kind of have their attention, maybe get a, a wait for a chance when they kind of open their eyes for a second and they look at me so that I'm not surprising them. Now, it, it doesn't always happen that way because they may not open their eyes. But in those cases, usually they're kind of ready for it. Or they can sense you. They can kind of come. But most of the time, I'll, I'll, I'll come up and I'll, maybe I'll even start speaking to them first before laying hands on them or whatever the case may be. I want to wait for an, op an open. Thank you, Brother Redway. I want to kind of wait for an opening. All right. And yeah, there's times when we go through and there's a prayer line and we kind of know that the preacher's going around and laying hands on everybody and, and some of the seasoned folks, like we know what's going to happen. We're expecting. But if it's somebody brand new, Get in front of them, make sure that they can see you, and and try to get their attention and try not to startle them. <laughs> All right? Now, the other thing is you want to keep your distance. Like we said, no bump and grind, right? We don't, we don't need none of that. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying you've got to be this far out, but there should be a, a good enough distance because you don't need to be whispering sweet nothings in people's ears. All right? They don't need your spit in their ear. That's going to distract them. I know it's gross. I told you we laugh and, you know, whatever. But now, are there times when I will lean in close and talk to someone because I don't want them to hear what I'm saying? I want them to hear, but I don't want everybody else to hear. Yeah. But appropriately. Appropriately. I don't need to be rubbing cheeks with people. And so, again, I'm giving us practical tools here, Sister Kiefer. Right. That's a, that's a great point, Sister Ellen. When you're dealing with deaf people, they're even more sensitive to touch. So if you just suddenly lay hands on them, you know, you're, you're really going to startle them. That's a great point. That is a great point. Thank you, Sister Ellen. So um, keep your distance. You know, you can, you know, arm bent. It doesn't have to be full-on uncomfortable, but, you know, keep your distance, you know, six-inch rule or eight-inch rule or whatever, right? Just there needs to be, again, we're being appropriate, right? If standing in front of them is impossible, then try to stand beside them. But even be more cautious to be appropriate if you're doing that. And it's still very hard, especially when someone is seeking the Holy Ghost, to figure out what they're doing with their mouth and where they're coming, how much progress they're making if you're beside them. You need to try to be in front of them if you can. All right, it just makes it a lot easier. Um, and if at all possible, don't stand behind them. Just if, if you're part of the team that's praying and you got one person in front kneeling, then you can stand behind from a distance and you can, there may be a time when laying hands on their back is, is appropriate in a, a certain situation, but just be very careful. Um, if you can get in front of them, get in front of them because that's going to be the most effective position. When you're standing behind somebody, it feels weird to them and it feels weird to you. And you can't read their facial expressions. You probably can't hear what they're saying. It may look inappropriate, even if you, even if it's not. It may look inappropriate from a distance and from a different angle. Um, and again, every and everyone can't be in front at the same time either. By the way, take your turns. And sometimes it takes more than one person to help someone pray through to the Holy Ghost. You give it your all. You give it your effort. Sometimes you wear yourself out. 
sometimes it's work. And so, but don't just go pushing people out of the way either. <laughs> Wait your turn. When your time comes, get in there and do your best and then give way when it's time for you to take a break. And by the way, because it is intercession and because it is work and because you are fighting devils when you're doing it, you sometimes do need to step away for a minute and give somebody else an opportunity and give yourself a chance to go into either intercession or praise and worship to, to refresh and recharge yourself. We'll probably talk about that a little bit more later as well. Sister Maria, do you have a comment on that? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Exactly, yeah. Yep. They might want, they might be at the altar to pray for their dog or for their aunt that's sick or their mom. We we don't know. You know. Right. 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 Amen. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to talk more about that later. You, you, you hit, you're all up in the middle of my notes, and, and that's fine. That's great because, you know, it, it helps us to all know that we're kind of on the same page in many ways. We'll talk more about that in depth, but absolutely, someone might not even be seeking the Holy Ghost. Don't just assume they're seeking the Holy Ghost. I think it was Billy Cole that used to say, know the need before you proceed. Proceed. Because <laughs> you could be like, you know, and I, I've had experiences where, listen, I'm, I'm a Holy Ghost filled, and I'll be in all the praying, and somebody will come and start laying hands on me. I have no idea who I am. God, give me the Holy Ghost. And I, I mean, I got the Holy Ghost. I've had the Holy Ghost for quite a few years now. I'm already speaking in tongues, and you're praying for God to give me the Holy Ghost. I'm like, uh, you know. <laughs> so we gotta be you know i mean it's comical but it's it's kind of not funny too i mean like come on let's be sensitive and and let's find out what people are praying for so many times i will just ask i'll, I'll introduce myself and i'll say i'd like to pray with you but you know what are we praying for what would you like for me to pray? are you seeking the holy ghost well, i don't know what that is well that's a great opportunity to explain or I'll say, do you want the Holy Ghost? Yes. Do you know what's going to happen? No. How's it going to happen? Okay, well, let's, let me, I, it doesn't take long to explain what speaking in tongues is, by the way. We'll probably get to that later as well. It doesn't take long for you to explain. It's very simple, and people make it way too hard. But many times, that little moment of just breaking it up for a second to get them a better understanding and a better focus, and then they get the Holy Ghost. Or... Maybe that's not what they're there for, and let's help them get to what they are there for, and then maybe we can talk about the Holy Ghost. This is wisdom. This is good stuff. Thank you, Sister Maria. That's good. All right, so appropriate hand position. I know we got to try to wrap this up. Appropriate hand position. Try to lay hands on the forehead. It is the most appropriate place to lay your hands on someone for prayer. Now, there are many ladies, and, well, unfortunately, some guys, too, that are very persnickety about their hair. So don't go running your fingers all up in somebody's head. And, and listen, this was much more profound back in the 80s and 90s when, they had all the, when the ladies had those bangs that were sticking up and you, and, you, and you put your hand on there and you just flattened all that hairspray and it was uncomfortable for you too because you leave and your hands are all sticky. and <laughs> we, don't, we don't see those, those, those hairstyles too much anymore. But come on, some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> And listen, I gel my hair. I have to style my hair. And if someone's 
putting their head on my head and they're rubbing it all up and I'm like, what are you doing messing my hair up, dude? Just stop. <laughs> all right, so, I mean, it's comical, but yes, but it is the right way. Sometimes, and I know preachers that believe you've got to lay the whole hand on. I don't know if necessarily that. I was actually taught sometimes the three-finger rule or the two-finger rule is best. Sometimes it's more, it, it feels, it's, it's less intimate, if you will. It's, it's maybe a little more comfortable. Oh, yeah, and we, I, I see that the, we're going to talk about that too, but we don't need all this either. Don't try to baptize their head before their whole body gets baptized. There's no water there anyway. Don't break their neck. I had that happen once. I was praying with someone to get the Holy Ghost, and someone came up behind me and just, he's taller than me and reached over me and just started doing this number while I'm praying for the guy. And, and I'm like, what? And, and so finally, somebody else who was a little more experienced came up behind me and, and grabbed the guy and kind of pulled him off and said, Brother, let's not break his neck while he's in the altar. Let's let him get the Holy Ghost first. <laughs> you break his neck before he gets the Holy Ghost, and he's going to die and go to hell. We don't want that. <laughs> funny, but not so funny, but. Yes, I mean, like, we need to be very careful, Sister Kiefer. <laughs> Absolutely. You can hurt somebody. We don't know what they're, listen, they might have come up to the altar to, to pray for their back, and you're up there wrenching them trying to get them to get the Holy Ghost, and next thing you know, you're making it worse. Are they ever coming back again, probably? Yeah. I'm not ever coming back to that church again. There's a church right now that I would have a hard time setting foot in because of an experience I had in the altar when I was just coming back to the Lord. Dude was trying to make me fall out in the Spirit. I'm like, dude, if you don't stop pushing me... <laughs> He was a minister, too. You know, he, never, he never had this class. but He was pushing me. He, was, he had one hand on my chest and one hand on my head, and he was literally trying to push me down to make me fall out. And I'm like, dude, if you push me one more time, I'm going to punch you. I, I shouldn't say that in church, right? But that's how I was feeling at the time. Like, if, if God wants to knock me out, then let God do it. He don't need your help. And by the way, while we're talking about falling out in the spirit, sometimes it happens, it does happen, but a lot of people do that just so they can get away from the touch of God or the conviction that they're feeling. So a lot of times I just go right down with them. Keep on praying. You're not getting away that easy. And that's a whole other story for another day. But Use that spiritual discernment Sister Maria was talking about earlier. We, we, we want to, you know, somebody might fall out just because you were getting a little too close to home, but they need that, so go down with them and keep going. And don't, or, or, or have somebody behind them just pick them back up. Anyway, all right, real quickly, we're going to finish up appropriate hand position. If you cannot get to the person's forehead, the shoulder might be okay, but use wisdom and common sense when doing that. I'm not touching a lady's bare shoulder. It just ain't happening. And some of them are going to come in here with bare shoulders. I'm not touching you on the bare shoulder. Uh, many times, sometimes when a lady is, is kneeling here praying in the altar, I will stand at my distance, and I'll just kind of lightly put my fingers on their shoulder. And there ain't no caressing going on. Anything like that, I'll do that. I'll, I'll lightly touch, but even then, I, I really don't even like doing that. But if I really feel like I need to do it, then I'll, then I'll do that, or I'll try to wait for a different opportunity. <laughs> Nothing wrong with, with helping somebody out when it comes to stuff like that. And sometimes we have sheets for that purpose, too, and whatever, but people are being immodest and Whatever, right? All right. Um, but they don't know. They're coming in. We can't expect them to, to be dressed like us and be modest when they come in. But we're going to, still going to help them get the Holy Ghost, right? Now, one more thing. Sister Trine, real quick, if you'll come up here. I want to I wanna just kind of demonstrate something real quick. Come up. Just raise your hands and, and, and you know, start praying. Just like, that. just like that's fine. Just like that. Many times what I'll do, and, and I was taught this when I was in Bible college, and it's been very good. Sometimes if I don't really feel comfortable doing that or I'm not sure they'll feel comfortable, a lot of times I'll take my fingers kind of like this and I'll just touch their wrist. But I'm really not into holding hands with people in the altar either. You know, so I'll, so for those of you who can say, I'll just kind of do this. Good, thank you, Sister Trine. I just, just kind of like that and just touch the wrist lightly. I, that works too. 
right? I don't, I don't need, you know, necessarily to do all the other stuff. So there's a way, there's an appropriate way to do it. If you have questions, if you're not sure, you want, really want to pray with somebody in the altar, you're not sure, you think you need to lay hands on them, whatever, come find somebody. We'll help you. We'll give you guidance. We'll help you out, okay? It's, it's, it's that important. Like, we don't want to give someone a bad experience. And it might be a good idea, as Sister Maria said, to tell the person when you're going to lay hands on them. Or ask them if it's okay and get permission. Because some people simply don't like to get touched. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know what their past is. And you can send them down a road that they don't want to go back down again when they came here to get healing. And so we have to, especially in this day and age when abuse has run rampant in the world, we've got to be very careful. All right, we'll continue this next week. Sister Ellen, we'll finish with your comment. Yeah, especially, especially guys to 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 gals. <laughs> In most cases, you don't need to put your hand on somebody's neck, or their collar, or their chest. Now, there are sometimes when I'm praying with men that sometimes I will feel like there's a touch of the heart, and I will I will do that. But even then, I'm 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 usually hesitant to do even that. But I'll do it sometimes. That might be appropriate, but yeah, most of the time you don't need to do all that stuff. Okay. All right, we'll, we'll finish this up. Uh, well, I don't know if we'll finish it next week, but we'll, we'll, we'll continue next week and get as far as we can. Thank you for all of your input and all your questions. And if we didn't get to your questions tonight or get them all answered, we probably will answer them next week or the following week or whenever we've, by the time we're done with this. Um, but I feel like this is so important. We need to stay on this until we, until we finish it, until we get to a point where we're all more comfortable in working in the altar because we're going to have a harvest coming. And we need to be ready to receive it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.